0: Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. And I pray, God, that you will continue to melt and to mold all of us into your image. May we all become houses in which you inhabit. Holy Spirit, that you may do your work. God, that you will use us as a tool to reach those who are like those who don't know you. And God, may we let the world know that we too are patients in your hospital. And that we only gather, Lord, not because we've got it all together, we gather because we don't. And because we are in need of a savior who can shape us, who can mold us who can bring us into new life God may that be birthed in our hearts may people see us as we press towards you God now I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart God I pray that it will be acceptable in your sight for God you are our strength and our redeemer we love you, Lord, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. 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 Do me a favor. Let's give the Lord a hand. Clap of praise this morning. Yeah. This morning, we continue in our series called The Hospital. And, um, and I don't know about you, but I, I truly believe that this place is exactly that, that we we come here for healing, uh, for, for the sickness of our souls, and so that God and the Holy Spirit can do a work on the inside of us—that's that—is part of the reason why we gather. it. so, one more time, if you could bring up that that memory verse and let us let us collectively read that together. And here, here's the thing: this this is to be read because when when Jeremiah penned this, there, there's a little bit of sarcasm here. There, there's, he's he's not reading this as though he's truly asking the question. You you read this as though you know the answer to the question, but you're asking it rhetorically hoping that people hear what you're truly asking, that you know the answer to the question in which you're asking. So think about that as we read it together. Come on, let's read it. One, two, ready, go. Is there no medicine in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why is there no healing for the wounds of my people? And the reality is Jeremiah knew in this season where he... Uh, was dealing with the remnant that was left in Judah as the Babylonians had captured uh, the land. He knew that there was a physician. He knew that there was medicine, that there was healing for the wounds of the people, and he knew that it came through no one else but Jehovah God. That's, that's what we know together as a family, that there is healing. And this series, what we're doing is we are sharing ways in which we can approach that, uh, that healing inside of our own lives. Today, uh, my assignment is to talk about we're going into different units of the hospital. Today, we're going into the neurological unit. We're going to deal with the mind. The mind's a tricky place, isn't it? Yeah, man. I mean, there, 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 are, there are words, man, that we say or thoughts that we have, and no matter how hard we try, have you ever tried to not think about something? Anybody ever tried to do that? Yeah. And what happens? The thing that you don't try to think about, you can't get out of your mind, right? I mean, it is a very tricky thing. I'm always reminded of this when I fast. When I fast, I wake up in the morning and I pray, I ask God for strength, and I ask God, please don't let me think about food today. Just please. And for some reason, things that I wouldn't ordinarily... I told you all my struggles with Mexican food before... And uh, and I don't really particularly like one of the chain restaurants. I'm not going to say it. I don't like it at all. But <laughs> center, just a center. He's a center. Uh, but for some reason, when I fast, I want it. Like I never want to eat that. But for some reason, I'll see a commercial and I will crave that. The mind, the mind is a tricky place, right? And and sometimes you just don't even know how do you deal with what's going on inside of your mind. I thought about a story, man, I I heard about years ago in school that in in World War I, the uh, British uh, war ministry uh, sent the message to some of their outposts and it simply said this, war has broke out, Uh, please where you are, arrest all of the alien forces where you are. And so one of the outposts, we support back, and it said, uh, we've got your message. Uh, we've arrested 10 Germans, 6 Belgians, 2 Austrians, and 1 American. Please advise who we're at war with. <laughs> I feel like that's the case, though, when it comes to the mind. Yes. Who, who, who are we at war with? Who are you at war with? I think oftentimes there are, there are four Four, four, four groups, four people, essentially that we struggle when you're talking about the mind, trying to determine who are we at war with. The, the most obvious low-hanging fruit is whomever has offended you, right? That, like that's one of the first, first persons in your mind. The, the second one is, well, then, is it me, right? right The third one is, is it the enemy, Is the devil working? Is the devil busy? The fourth one we oftentimes don't go to. Is it God testing me? Who are we at war with? Who am I battling in my mind? Sisters and brothers, here's one of the things I want to be very open with you today as we dive into this message. Whether or not you know it, we are right now in this very moment. You are in a period of spiritual warfare. And that warfare is not glamorized by Hollywood. There are no angels and demons fighting like Constantine. It's not magical in that sense. The war that's taking place right now spiritually happens on the inside of you, oftentimes inside of your mind. It's in your mind. That's why it's always good to ask a question whenever you are wrestling with something, what are the spiritual implications of this moment? Is there something that is going on spiritually that I am not aware of so that I can stop trying to fight something spiritual in my flesh? Yeah, which is where we oftentimes go and how we wrestle within this. The tendency, man, in in our world today, because we are hyper-intellectuals, is we begin to put together ways in which we can defeat whatever challenge that we are experiencing in our minds and that we can get on the offensive and attack. And so what we do then is we immediately start going and looking for the ways in which we can defend ourselves against whomever we or whatever we perceive the attack is coming from. A number of ways that we do so within this culture. We'll, we'll, we'll get subtle, snarky, and sharp comments. We'll make long postings on the Internet so that people can see our pain and what we're experiencing. There's a number of ways we do so in the flesh without oftentimes questioning what are the spiritual implications of this moment? Is there something that God is teaching me? Is the enemy coming up against me? And perhaps God or the enemy is using someone to come up against me. What I love about this is that this isn't new. And it's what I love about the Bible, man. It's People say that it's antiquated, that it's outdated. Some of these things that we experience today, the Bible knows nothing about. And there are some instances where that may be true. But things like this, uh, there's nothing new under the sun, as the writer in Ecclesiastes said. This is, this is new. The Bible, man, people always have the question whether or not it was something they had to deal with in their flesh, or was it spiritual? Which is why Paul says in Ephesians six and twelve, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But against powers, against principalities, against the rulers of darkness of this age, and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in high heavenly places. Paul told us that, shared that with us, because he wanted us to recognize that we are spiritual people. And sometimes in the secular world in which we live, we have to question as to whether or not the moment that we are experiencing is a flesh one or is it a spiritual one. And as spiritual people, one of the first things we ought to do. Is question, what is it that God is trying to teach? What is happening in the spirit and be able to deal with that in the spirit? And the process of that, a major process of that, is reconditioning our minds so that we can be like Christ. Reconditioning our minds. We see this in our scripture, our focal scripture for today. Somebody experiencing something that we do today and let's see how he deals with it. And so if you have your Bibles, open them up to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 5. Of course, it's on the screen, or uh, log on to your device. And uh, from the New King James Version, this is this is what you'll, you'll hear. Now, I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent, am bold toward you. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I tend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Oh, school preachers say carnal, they're not carnal, they're not carnal. But mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every Thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. I want to read that last portion one more time. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Let me give you just a little bit of context of what's happening. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the Corinthian church. This is his second letter that he's wrote to them. And although there are some things that he has to address theologically, things about God that he has to address, he also has another issue that he has to write about. So periodically through this letter, Paul has to insert some of his own challenges so that the people can hear on how he's justifying some of the drama that's taking place. What drama? Well, Paul, although he was a wonderful missionary, and there's not a whole lot of bad things you can say about him, he did, as all of us do, he had some opponents, some opposers who were up against him. There was one primary group they were known as the Judaizers. Say Judaizers. Yeah, Yeah, the Judaizers had one mission. Their mission was wherever Paul went, they went behind Paul to essentially kind of pervert or to, to muddy his message and insert other things about the gospel or additions to the gospel, confusing people. So Paul would preach, Paul would teach that salvation comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And the Judaizers will come, get a true by grace through faith, but also you got to get circumcised, you got to live like a Jew. You've got to do these things. And if you don't do these things, then you're really not saved. Sounds real familiar to today, doesn't it? Yeah, he, he had these opponents who went by behind him confusing his very message. What happened then is that there was so much going on, and because of this, eventually Paul and the Judaizers wound up having kind of a face-to-face standoff. And they had words, man. They, they had words, and... It got so bad that Paul, this is in the Bible, that Paul was embarrassed and ashamed. And therefore, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, he says this, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not coming back because it's too painful. Referring to how he conducted himself before. Have you ever encountered somebody, maybe an opponent or opposer, and they pulled you so much out of yourself that you're like, okay, I, I, I feel so shameful for how I acted in front of, front of the people. I, I'm not going back there. Am I the only one who's ever done that before? Like, I can't believe I let them get that much into my mind. I let them get that deep into my mind that I found myself no longer acting like myself. Paul, the great apostle, the great missionary said, I got so far. That I said, hey, I, I would like to come to you, but I still feel shame. It's, it's still painful to me about what happened before. So Paul, Paul has this thing, and he's, he's currently trying to work this thing through. And so what happens then is it's not necessarily the challenge with Paul, the fact of what the Judaizers done before, and the biggest issue that he's addressing right here in chapter 10 isn't even the moment where he regretted his behavior, That the reason why he cannot come. The issue that he's dealing with here is the accusations that are coming from his opposers. Listen to, to what he says. Listen to these words in, in verse 1. He says, Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent, am bold towards you. Here's why he has to word it like that, what he's talking about. One of the claims that the Judaizers made is, check this out. We, we know this today. They said, Paul is real tough on Facebook. I mean, man, he, man, he says everything online, man. He's, he's real hard. But then when you see him, he ain't got all that to say. Yeah, he's, man, because in First Corinthians, if you read First Corinthians, 1 Corinthians is a convicting book to read. And so Paul was real harsh in 1 Corinthians. And so the Judaizers got word and wind, and they were able to hear the message and the words that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians. And so they come back and say, well, how come Paul wasn't that tough when he was in person? But he posted, and Paul Paul did go in in 1 Corinthians. I mean, it would be the equivalent of not only a post, but you tag the people that you got a problem with. And this person right here who ain't all that where people can click and see their profiles. and all that, Like, Paul really went in in 1 Corinthians, so the Judaizers said he didn't do all that when he was here. The problem for Paul isn't the fact that he was bold in his letter or that he was meek and gentle as he's saying right here in person. The problem that Paul is having is not that, it's the fact that they are attacking his character. And he was okay until they attack his character, until they started making accusations suggesting that Paul is essentially being fake. You ever had those moments with people? They don't even know you. They've had one or two little small interactions with you. Maybe they saw you in not the best of moments, but all of a sudden, they act like they know everything about you. And it's not even the fact that they act like they know everything about you. It's the fact that they begin telling people what they think they know about you. And so they begin spreading it around, and it goes back to what hip-hop in the 90s used to say, assassinating your character. Just going around and spreading a whole lot of false lies and untruths, and they don't even know you. And so Paul's writing in in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, essentially his words right here are, I could be the person that they said that I am, but because of the meekness and the gentleness that comes from me being in Christ, I ain't even going to act a fool right now. I'm I'm not even going to go there. I'm going to condition myself well. I'm going to make sure that I hold myself up the way that I am. The reason why, man, because Paul understands something. He says, I come to you bold in the letter true, but also meekness and gentleness. As Paul understands that meekness doesn't equate to weakness. Right, you, they may think in attacking him, his identity and saying he is weak, but what Paul knows is weak, uh, meekness is actually power under control. Right, I can be exactly who you say that I am, but I don't have to. Yeah. And what I don't have to do is allow you to control. Me. Paul is wrestling with these things as he's trying to figure out what does he do? How does he address some of these issues here? And Paul begins to have this dialogue with his people because he needs them to understand what it means to do so. But there's also this reality, though, because Paul even confesses to it that there's a partial truth to the claim of the Judaizers. They didn't didn't completely lie. They just blew the moment out of proportion. The reality was that Paul was bold in his first letter. And he was not so bold or as bold in person. That's the truth. They attacked his character and made it seem as though that was him being fake. But in all actuality, there's some truth there. And sometimes your opposers will take a small little snippet of truth and blow it up into something else so that they can contribute to whatever tearing down of you that they are trying to do. Paul, Paul's like, yeah, this is true. There, there, there's, a, there's a little bit of truth there. But there's also the reality that Paul had to be bold to the Corinthian church. You ever read 1 Corinthians? And all the things that they were doing in 1 Corinthians in the Corinthian church. I mean, there's a number of things, man. There was, there was a lot of division in the Corinthian church. I mean, they were, they were fighting, man. Just a, a lot of fighting, man, because they were, they were, they were intellectuals, they were they were people of wealth. They they were so they had a lot of things going on. There was a lot of power struggles within the Corinthian church. There was also some nasty stuff, incest taking place within the Corinthian church. There was, there was a, there was, there was adultery and all types of things happening within the Corinthian church. There was this thing that Paul addresses called in-house idols. You know what in-house idols are, don't you? Can I give you like a current idea of that today? In-house idols is like um, worshiping the preacher without worshiping the God that the preacher is preaching about. Yeah, when the preacher becomes bigger than God. Yeah, that's an in-house idol. In-house idol is worshiping worship without worshiping God where the instrumentation, the music, and the voices become the main idea rather than elevating your praise to God. Paul had to address the in-house idols in the church. You know it more as he talks about the spiritual gifts that happen within the church. Paul had to let them know, man, you're a very gifted congregation. There's a lot of things that's wonderful about you. But however, did you recognize that as gifted as you are, you are not as valuable as you are of the other parts of the body. Right. You need everybody else to come together so that you could be one. So that you can be the complete whole body of Christ. And there is no separation no matter what your gift. If you think that your gift can make it without your sister or your brother, without their giftedness, then my sister and my brother, you don't know what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. Paul, Paul had to deal with that because there was a lot of drama within the Corinthian church. So there was an evidence, instance of truth in the Judaizers excuse me, claim, but they didn't tell the whole story. And so what Paul has to do is he has to deal with this thing. So can you imagine them? Here it is, Paul. He has a mission and a ministry on his mind and in his heart, but he's got an obstacle, a hurdle to overcome because now he's got to deal with this war in his mind so that he can do what God called him to do. Yeah, there's a hindrance. There's something blocking him, and he's got to deal with that issue. We just got to finish singing about it. Who are you mountain? <laughs> Not to move when God says, there's some things, there's some problems, because there are some spaces, some places that God has called you to. There are some things that you are supposed to be doing, but you're dealing with the movie in your mind that comes from whatever obstacle maybe somebody has become for you. And you got to wrestle with that. Paul's having to wrestle with that. How do I be faithful to my call? And I still got to deal with this war that's happening on the inside of my head. Check this out. Paul. Paul's, Paul's trying to figure out, I really need to come and do a work. But because I embarrass myself and I'm ashamed of my behavior, I really can't come. But maybe if I come, maybe if I come, I can really deal in the right spirit and they can see my heart. But there's always going to be some people who go listen to the Judaizers and they're going to listen to them and they're going to think that they're telling the truth. So maybe if I go and I write a letter to them first and they understand where I was coming from, have you ever worked yourself up so much before doing something? You get so stressed out, you're like, I just ain't going. I just, I just, I'm just not gonna do it. I just, I I, I can't. I can't deal with them. And I, I can't, I can't go there. You know, you 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 work yourself up so much, you're stressed out, and then you get there and you're like, oh it, it, it wasn't all that bad after all. I just I just worked myself up to a frenzy. Have you ever, maybe this is just me because I, I need Jesus a lot. Um, have you ever thought about somebody, you know those movies at times when when people really push those buttons? And you ever seen where the person does something to the person who pushed their buttons? I mean, it, it, they like, cut their head off or something. And, and then they flash back and it was just a thought in their mind? Am I the only person who does that in real life? We're like, man, and maybe I don't, like, literally cut their head off in my mind, But maybe I really say some things because I got a real sharp tongue, y'all. And there are some times, man, where I can preemptively think about the strike that I'm going to say, how I'm going to tear you down, and how creatively, and I can do it without cussing. I can say it in a manner that you won't even know that you got cut. And oftentimes, I go into space where people have pressed my buttons, and as I see them, I'm thinking about all the things that I wish I could say out loud. And then by the time I hug and I smile and I look at him, I'm like, you just don't know what I just said to you. You just, you just don't know. Man, if I could really let this go, man. Whoo, I feel so terrible. Paul worked himself up so much thinking about that drama. Paul says, I, I, I just, I can't. It's too It's too painful. It's too painful. It's it's a shame that that we have this this internal struggle, man, in our mind. But Paul says we need to recognize that this is this is spiritual warfare that's happening. Like we think that it's just about something that we're dealing with intellectually, when actually it's something spiritually. Yeah. So what I love about Paul, Paul then gives us he gives us some things to think about. He says, but I beg you that when I'm present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some. Yeah. Which means I handle those that I need to handle. Yeah. But Then he says, who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war yeah. according to the flesh. What he's speaking about is is the claim is then Paul since you are so bold in your writings won't you show yourself to be bold in person Paul it's like listen I'm a spiritual being and what you expect and how you expect me to respond I don't have to because I've got the holy spirit working on the inside of me I don't have to do what you're telling me to do Paul this is a this is a discussion about identity yeah. Paul is Clearly certain of who he is and what he's writing about is I don't have to let what you think about me define me. I know who I am. And if I respond according to how you expect me to respond, then I've just now given you power over my life. But then Paul says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exhausts itself against the knowledge of God. I think that one of the things that Paul's trying to communicate here is this, is that he recognizes that although the attacks are coming from a specific people group, he also recognizes that there's another enemy at work. So when he's talking about the weapons of our warfare are not carnal and not acting out in the flesh. What Paul is saying, then, is I also know where the attack is really coming from. Which basically means this: sometimes what someone is doing, or what's coming through someone isn't really coming from that someone. Does that make sense? Sometimes what is coming through someone, is isn't necessarily coming from them. And what Paul is recognizing then is rather than me addressing what's coming through you, I'm going to address where it comes from because I know this is a spiritual battle. I know that the weapons and I know that I can't operate in the flesh, this isn't a carnal battle. It's a spiritual battle, so I'm going to do spiritual warfare in order for me to make it through this moment right here. Paul. Paul learns this from Jesus. I don't know if you remember, man, when Jesus had his disciples gathered around him. And he asked a couple of questions. One of the questions he asked, he says, "Um, whom do men say that I am? And they say, man, some say Elijah, some say uh, John the Baptist or one of the prophets. And Jesus asked a second question. He says, well, whom do you say I am? And you remember Peter. Peter spoke up and says, for you are God's Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus looks at Simon and says, Simon, son of John, Flesh and blood to not reveal to you, but that came strictly from the heart of God. Yeah, remember that? Fast forward just a little bit in that conversation. Remember Peter's testimony. Jesus said, man, you've clearly been listening to God. That's the only way you could have professed what you did. Fast forward just a little bit further and what happens in the conversation. Jesus begins to share with them about the struggle, the battle that he's about to encounter. He says, I'm about to go lay down my life. I'm about to go suffer for the sins of humanity, and I will die. The same Peter who professed about who Jesus is then speaks up and says, Lord. Yeah, my friend, he even pulls Jesus to the side. Just Lord, I, I forbid it. I will not permit you to do that. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Yes, <laughs> Wait a minute, Jesus. Just a moment ago. Peter was speaking the heart of God. And now this next moment, you're calling Peter Satan? No, you missed it. Jesus isn't calling Peter Satan. Jesus is speaking to what's speaking through Peter at that time. He recognizes that at this moment what the enemy does not want is for Jesus to do the work that he came to do. So rather than calling Peter out or calling Peter something, Jesus speaks to the enemy working through his friend Peter. And what that means to us, sisters and brothers, is basically this. Sometimes, rather than responding to the ignorance or the foolishness that oftentimes comes from the mouth of people, sometimes you got to say, get behind me, Satan. Satan, today is not today. Not today, Satan. I will not. I will not put up with your negativity. I will not put up with your hindrance. I will not put up with the drama. I will not put up with what you're taking me through. Right now, Jesus has to be my strength, and I will not allow you to make me into something that God has created me to be better and rather than looking at the demon on the inside of them speak to it now I know we say those things and you think that we mean it rhetorically and so what will happen then is something will happen and then you say well pastor I almost said in my mind I said this I'm not telling you to do that I'm telling you that sometimes you physically got to speak and got to say now say not today like, matter of fact, come on, because y'all think I'm joking. On the count of three, let's say it right now. Just say, not today, say it. I just want to hear you say it. One, two, three, say it. Not today, say it. I mean, sometimes you've got to speak, and you've got to be authentic to what God is calling for you. And if you're going to work through that moment, you cannot allow the enemy to make you into something that you are not. And you've got to call him out. Speak to what's speaking through. Whatever moment, whatever environment, whatever person, speak to the enemy and let him know that God's got you. And so they, they have this conversation and Paul, Paul recognizes that this isn't a carnal fight. But he gives us a couple of quick things and then I'll take my seat that we need to recognize. that Since our, our warfare is spiritual, Paul says then our war gear has to be spiritual as well. well Since this is a a spiritual battle, I can't can't fight my spiritual battle in the flesh. So rather than me responding fleshly the way that I ordinarily was, I've got to figure out what to do in a spirit. And so Paul says, "Here's, here's what you can do. One of the first things that you can do is... You got to recognize, man, that you've got divine power to tear down strongholds. Listen, he says, Our weapons of warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. What's, what's a stronghold? Well, it's, it's, it's not confusing. It's literally what it said. It's some things, man, that have a hold of you. Some things that you just can't seem to get beyond, to to get over. There's some things that you've been struggling with for the last 5, 10, 15, 20 plus years. There are people, man, who still have a hold on your heart, have a hold on your mind, and you can't let it go. You can't get over it. Paul says if you recognize that this is a spiritual battle, the thing that you can't get over, you'll be able to tear that thing down. How many of you all got some things that you need to tear down? Some issues, some problems, some people, some bitterness, some heartbreak, some hurt, some things that you're like, God, I just really wish that this was not my story. Paul says, fight it spiritually and you will tear that thing down. Not only will you tear down strongholds, he said, but you'll also tear down high towers. Listen to what he says. He says, God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exhausts itself against the knowledge of God. Those high things, sisters and brothers, is, is basically this. Check that. Imagine, imagine old school camp, a, a, a war camp. And then they build a wall around the army to fortify itself against it. Well, what they have in that wall around them is they also have these high towers. And the high towers serve two purposes. One of the purposes is so that they can see the enemy when they come. The other purpose is so that the snipers can kill the enemy before they come. Paul says if you you fight this spiritually, not only will you tear down those strongholds, but you'll also be able to avoid to tear down those high towers those things that go before you that ruin where you're trying to go, the environments where you are so that you cannot function in your full strength, there are some workings that the enemy is doing, controlling the environment. That's why Paul says that the enemy is the prince of the power of the air, yeah. which means that he influences our environment. Paul says, fight this spiritually, now the Holy Spirit will go before you. Yeah. And he will tear down those high towers, so that you can fully walk in confidence where you find yourself. I, I remember, man, um, when, when when I was about nineteen, um, I was in school in Arkansas, and, um, and and we 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 came back home um, driving through Memphis a little too fast, um, just a little a little way too fast, and uh, and we got we got pulled over and um and and the ticket was one of those ones where you just can't pay you gotta go to court and uh, i i had never been to court before so you know i was i was i was almost in tears like just trying to figure out you know and i played this movie in my mind man i'm going to jail uh, and uh and it's gonna be rough i was gonna see george because he was probably already there <laughs> um, it's it's gonna be hard man like i'm about to do hard time man i was going too fast and, uh, and and it's gonna be over, and so I'm panicky, man. And I, I put on like my best church suit, and um, and it was a terrible suit. It was really it was green. It was, oh, it, was it was hideous. And, uh, and and I went in with my with my best church suit into the court, nervous as forever. And um, and I sat there and, and I watched because you know I, I didn't have an attorney, couldn't afford one. And so uh, I, I went in and I noticed that all these people, attorneys. When I noticed, man, things were going pretty good for them. And I was like, oh, Lord, how come I didn't save my money so I can get an attorney? Um, But then I started noticing the people without attorneys started getting treated a little worse. And so I was really concerned. One guy, one guy, the judge, he he answered the question. The judge didn't like it. The judge said, go sit up under the clock and don't move until I tell you. And I was like, oh, my Jesus, like... How do you answer the questions right? Like I'm just I'm doomed, and so this is going on in my head the entire time. And so I get up there, and uh, and I was so nervous. I saw the judge grimace when she saw my face, and she asked me a question, and uh, and 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 I nervously responded, and she said, "Well, listen, uh, it's okay. Uh, Pay your fine, and you'll never have to see me again." And I was so relieved. But I had worked myself up into a frenzy on my way there. So much so to the point that something so small as a speeding ticket I thought was going to be my demise. But I thought about that moment in that perhaps in moments like that, rather than, than entering into that moment where I'm fearful what's going to come, Maybe I need to start addressing those moments because it's not the first time I've gone into a space not knowing what was awaiting me. What I started doing after that was now I pray for the Holy Spirit to go before me. Because before I walk in the door, I trust that the Holy Spirit has done the work. I fight in my mind spiritually believing that God's going to make a way. So that when I walk into any environment, I believe, number one, I believe that I'm supposed to be here. I believe that first and foremost. And secondly, I believe that the God who called me and made me belong here is with me. And so I don't fear where i go, where I'm entering no more because I know that Jesus is here. I know that the Holy Spirit is present. Paul is teaching in order to tear down those high towers, in order to tear down the work that the enemy's doing in advance, trust the Holy Spirit to be there, and he'll tear those things down. But then he gives us a how, because I, I see a thought, so like, okay, that makes sense. Like, I, I like for all that to happen. And honestly, I just spent the last 20 minutes or so just, just to get to this one point. How does it happen? Well, this simple word here. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. know, you know, I, I did my work to try to assess and to, to properly exegete, to properly make sure that I give you all exactly what Paul is saying. So when he says every thought, in the original language, it still means every. Right. Bringing every thought into captivity. Paul, this entire time, has been used in military language, Right? Strongholds, that, that's the fortified city, high tower, that, that is the tower. He's been using military language, and for the work that we've got to do, Paul has used the military language. We've got to bring it into captivity, which means as that movie, those thoughts are playing in your mind. I know I said, and I mean it still, that you've got to speak to the enemy speaking and working through people and situations, but you also got to speak to the enemy working in your mind. And so Paul says that we bring every thought into captivity, which means then that when the thought arises, one of the first things you do is you say, in the name of Jesus. God, I trust you, and God, I need you to help me so that this thought would not be my reality, so this thought will not take me captive. God, I need you to help me to take this thought captive because I want to have joy. I want to be happy. I want to be able to function in my right mind. I do not want my mind to continue to play tricks on me. I want to experience the moment that I'm supposed to. So right now, in the name of Jesus, free me from this annoying, cruel, and mean and unnecessary thought that is hindering me from being the fullness of whom I'm supposed to be. He says bring every thought, make it hostage, and speak the word of God into that thought. Yes. Yes. And so to make this practical I've got some homework for you. And so if you've got your device, you've got a pen and paper, go ahead pull it out. Because rather than making this something deep and so ethereal that we don't activate it, I want you to spend the next seven days learning how to do that. Because what I love about the Bible, not only does it share the principles, but it also shares with us how we're supposed to activate them. It's scripture. So you don't have to write it all down. You just have to write down the scripture. You can pull it up. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. This is how how you fight the battle. This is how you take your thoughts captive. You got it on the screen, Philippians 4 and 8. For the next seven days, every day that you wake up, And before you go to bed, this is what I want you all to do. Finally, my brothers and sisters, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Finally, that's how you take it into captivity. Every day think about what's true because the devil is a liar and he is the author of lies. So you've got to make sure that you speak about the things that are true. Whatever things are honorable, Look for the good in situations, whatever things are just righteousness, right? Whatever you see justice, wherever you see things happening well, the things that are pure, the things that are lovely, stop for a moment and recognize the beauty in God's creation. Because much of what's around us that surround us only highlights the negativity. That's one of the reasons why this is what I activate... I, why well, I don't do social media. Because for me, I can't separate it because when I open social media, I see more negativity than I see positivity. I don't, I don't, I don't do it. And I, I don't watch the news like I used to because I try to ingest the things that are good and I surround myself around positive people. I want want people who who can see the good in our world. And so that's a part of my process. Whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Every morning when you wake up and every night before you go to bed, for the next seven days, I want you to read this and not just read it. I want you to journal about it. So what you're going to do then in the morning, as you know what your day for the most part is going to encompass, you're going to claim the things that's going to happen in the day that are going to be noble, that are going to be just, that are going to be pure and lovely, the things that are going to be praiseworthy of good report. you're going to claim that in advance. You're going to say, man, when I go to work this morning, there's going to be something just, there's going to be something commendable, there's going to be something praiseworthy. I'm going to have a good interaction, I'm going to have a good day, I'm going to encounter some good people. You're going to do that in advance. And then when you get home, before you lay down, you're going to write, Thank you, Jesus, for today I saw this that was noble. Thank you, Father, for today I saw justice here. Thank you, Lord, that I saw this and it was pure. Thank you, Lord, that I saw this. It was beautiful and it was lovely. Thank you, Lord, because this put a praise on the inside of my heart, and you're going to write those things down. And for the next seven days, We're going to take those thoughts captive. And I want to know after that how you feel. Like, I want to hear the testimonies about how your day went. When you woke up before you exited the doors expecting something great. And then when you went to bed at night, rather than ingesting something negative, You ingested something positive that gave you life. You got that? Philippians 4 and 8. An expectation before you leave. And before you go to bed at night. In conclusion, before you shut your eyes. Y'all with me on that? Who's with me? Who's with me? Who's going who's gonna to join me? I'm going to do it myself. And so I, I want us to do, man, just let's share together on Facebook. Or if you want to text me personally and share a story, something that you believe as a result of it, I love to hear. But I want us to actively begin to pursue this so that we can watch God move in our hearts and in our minds. Amen? Amen. Amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet. Y'all can have just a couple of counselors. Y'all can come up, spots up here, and also in the rear. And uh, we want to take a moment, and we want to, we want to pray with you right now. Maybe, maybe you're thinking that um, I need a little bit more help with that. Like I, I feel, I feel stuck. I feel like I can't. And so these counselors are here, also in the rear for you to be able to come to them so they can pray with you so you can begin to activate that, so you can begin the process of taking every thought captive so I'm going to pray first and then even before I conclude you can move let us pray God we thank you because you are the God who tears down strongholds and high towers. And Lord, there are many places, Lord, where we have been kept captive. We pray, God, that you give us freedom in those spaces. That as this war is going on in our minds, Lord, that we can ultimately have the victory from you. So God, I speak now and I pray for my sister my brother, Lord, who is are struggling, I pray. Lord, that they take a step forward to you, that you? they are able to think on these things, Lord, that they free them from the trappings that the enemy would have to keep them from seeing more of you in your creation. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. let' in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. As they lead us, please, when you come, when you see one of our counselors.